We have a great guest on the show today, but before I tell you about him, let me tell you about Podia. Podia is like an amazing Swiss Army knife for selling anything online. It's an all-in-one digital storefront where you can sell courses, memberships, and digital downloads all in one place. The cool thing about Podia is that they eliminate all of the technical headaches. You don't have to install anything. You can host your sales pages there, your files, your checkout process. You can even do your email marketing and newsletters right from Podia. Fizzle Show listeners get 15% off of Podia for life by signing up for a free trial over at podia.com slash fizzle. That's P-O-D-I-A dot com slash fizzle. Thanks to Podia for sponsoring the Fizzle Show and for supporting independent entrepreneurs like you and me. Hey there, welcome to the Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently doing something you love. Today, we have a special Office Hours Q&A episode for you featuring questions from Fizzle members who are attending this recording live with us. And in addition to the live questions, since this is the end of the year, we may also get to some special best of 2019 questions and topics from the past year. I'm joined today by Jen Rayow from the Fizzle team to help answer questions. Jen, thanks so much for being here. Ah, it's so good to be here. Thanks. Awesome. And uh, thanks to all the Fizzle members who are attending with us live as well. So Jen, what's the first question for today? Okay, first question is from Sharon Tewksbury Bloom. Uh, she says, one of my goals for 2020 is to create a digital product in order to diversify my revenue sources and not depend solely on services for revenue. In the last three years, I've written 58 blog posts, a free download about improving meetings, and I have 30 video recordings, which are 45, 75 minutes long each from webinars that I've presented. So I have lots of content already. What would you recommend for next steps to create a minimum viable product? Also, I have an email list of 360 that I have not been actively nurturing, and I have 20 current clients. Great. Um, and Sharon is a, a very active Fizzle member, and uh, we should mention that she does meeting facilitation uh, as well as helps organizations with their planning and um so um, she has a fairly niche audience, a fairly specific thing, and um, wants to create a digital product to help diversify because she's doing a lot of in-person workshops and, uh, and so on. And um, that's a great idea, obviously. Diversification is great. It's great to have some revenue coming in that you don't have to be dependent um, on for you know showing up in person, physically traveling and so on. And the question is, um, with all of this content, she has 58 blog posts. She has a number of video sessions that she's recorded for webinars and a digital download. So what should she create first as a digital product for a list of 360 that she has not, um, not marketed to recently? So the first thing I would say is um, there can be a big difference in the success of this product based on how important the need is, how felt the need is from your audience. And so my first step would probably be to find out what people want 
and what they would be willing to buy from you. Um, especially because these are corporate clients, nonprofit clients, people that are working in offices. And uh, a lot of times it's easy to get them to pay attention if they have to show up for a meeting in a workshop. But the question is, if they're going to be purchasing some sort of online course um, or some sort of online package, what would they actually pay for and what would they show up for? So a good way to start reigniting your communication with that list would be to um, maybe reintroduce yourself, let them know that you're planning to create some sort of digital product to go along with the in-person products that you do or the services, and then survey them and ask what they um, need help with this year and what they think you might be able to help with um, without having to show up in person and maybe explain why why that would be a good option for them. You know, it's something that maybe would cost a little bit less that they can do at their own pace. Uh, maybe it would come with a little bit of online coaching from Sharon as well. So there are a lot of potentially good things about this. I would just want to make sure that I'm creating something that people want so that I don't go through this whole process and then have a dud on my hands because that does happen. And with a list of 360 people, you also just have to consider that um, there are uh, just facts uh, of the number of people that you have on your list in terms of how many of those you'll be able to convert. And if you consider that uh, you know a decent conversion rate might be somewhere between say one and 5%, just kind of in a, a super ballpark way to gauge it, then um, you might be talking about somewhere between 10 and 50 sales. So uh, it's really important to nail this and make sure that you're, you're addressing something that people really want. Jen, did you have something else to add to that? Anything else come to mind? Well, the first thing that came to mind when I read it was to get talking to your list right away. Um, I don't think I'd survey them on the first email. So, you know, as soon as possible that you can reach back out, either reintroduce yourself if you're that cold with them, um, but just start that nurturing again and make sure that they know who the emails are coming from and why they're coming um, and having it be today's Friday, December 13th would be a really good opportunity to use the time of year. Um, to, to get questions going and seeing what they have planned for the new year and, and just kind of use the timing to your advantage. Um, but other than that, knowing what I know about Sharon and knowing how she delivers um, results for her clients, maybe get in touch with your current clients and get some testimonials and, and kind of beef up that side of the, uh, the marketing, getting ready for it. Yeah, and, and that's that's a really um, great point, um, Jen, about the end of the year, especially because Sharon often ha tackles planning for her clients, and um, the end of the year is uh, you know a time when obviously people are going to be taking vacations and so on, but also um, they're thinking about you know getting the next year kicked off right. Another thing that she could do is because she has served, she mentioned 20 clients, she could um, bring to light some of the best practices that she has seen in the engagements that she's done with these clients over the past year or two and uh, summarize that for people. Say, hey, you know, I've worked with 20 clients over the past year helping with facilitation and planning and so on. And um, here's what I have seen work really well. Here's what hasn't worked. And just summarize all of that stuff um, so that people can see that uh, Sharon is an expert herself, but also she is 
the hub of a bunch of different spokes and bringing all of these best practices and information together. And um, that could be a good way to kind of reintroduce herself, as you said, and then get that conversation going so that a couple of emails from now she can be surveying people. Yeah. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for the question. Uh, you can find more about Sharon over at SharonSpeaks.com. Okay, next question is coming live from the chat box <laughs> from Vicki Velasquez of uh, VegetarianZen.com. Uh, she's looking for best tips to improve her site speed. Uh, she's in the process of removing plugins that they don't need, but looking for any tools or tips to help. Yeah. I'm going to pass this right over to Corbin. <laughs> cool. Um, <Call> you. <laughs> yes. So uh, for site speed, there's a few things to, to keep in mind here. Um, for people listening to this who aren't familiar with site speed or haven't thought of it as a topic before, there are several tools out there that will measure your site speed for you, and they will give you a report on different things that you can do to improve your site speed. Now, um, They'll give you a grade, and uh, don't be shocked if your grade is a little lower than you might hope for or might expect, and you might also be pleasantly surprised, but this is a fun thing if you've never done it before. Uh, Google has one. You can type in Google page speed and um, find their site there where you can go and type in either your main URL, your main domain name, or you can type in the URL of a specific blog post or something on your site. Um, there's also GT metrics, um, pingdom has a page speed test. It's a good idea to run them across a couple as well, just to kind of get uh, second opinions. Now, the things that I have seen, um, impact site speed most tend to be either caching, which is a way that, um, a plugin on your site or some other service that you might use will, make your site more efficient because it doesn't have to query your database and run a bunch of code to deliver a page. That's called caching. So basically it, it takes a little snapshot of what your page looks like and then on subsequent calls prevents uh, your server and your database from being hit so that it speeds things up. That's called caching. There are several really good caching plugins if you're using WordPress. And um, you can check those out just by going to the WordPress plugins directory and type in caching, and you'll see that there are three or four very popular ones, and they're all decent choices. So that's one thing to look at for improving your your speed. Um, Vicky, it's likely that she already has caching installed, um, but for people who don't, that can be a good way to speed things up. Uh, she also mentioned removing plugins that you don't need. That's very important. After a while, a lot of us get just a clutter of dozens of different plugins in there, and we might even forget why they're there, um, or they may be serving a need that we don't have anymore. So clean those up, remove them if they're not necessary, and um, that should help as well. The third thing, and this is a big one, depending on your site, images tend to take up a lot of time and resources for people to download. And when you run one of these page speed tests, you'll find that oftentimes they are telling you about issues with your images. Either they're too big, 
um, or maybe they're sized appropriately, but they're, they, they have too much information, like the file size is too big for the size of the image. Um, or there are other formats, newer formats that they recommend using like WebP. And the best way to tackle that to shrink your image sizes is by using another plugin. If you're using WordPress, there are several plugins out there. Um, I just used one myself on the Fizzle website. And um, let me just look here at the one that I used. It was able to shrink our images on average by over 70%, which was really amazing. Um, let me see here. What was the name of that plugin? Uh, that one is called the Short Pixel Image Optimizer. And again, there you'll find that there are five or six different ones that are really popular. Um, all of them tend to be pretty good, but I was really pleased with that Short Pixel Image Optimizer plugin. Um, because we have so many images, I paid to have it run in bulk all at once. I think it was $10 or something for it to process like 5,000 images. And again, it, it shrunk them down by over 70%. So that means the page load times are going to improve quite a bit. Um, so that that's hopefully enough to get you all started. Again, run one of these page speed tests on your site. You'll find that as part of those page speed tests, they actually have a lot of recommendations. Some of them are a little bit difficult to understand, um, but again, you'll find that caching and squishing your images will be a good place to start. Thanks, Vicky, for the question. And uh, you can find Vicky over at Vegetarian Zen. Okay, uh, next question I sourced from the Fizzle forums, and this is from Seth Williams, who we had uh, as a guest on the podcast with, oh, wait, I was away for a while, so a couple months ago, uh, <laughs> yeah. Seth was on, and we had a really great chat with him. Um, so he posted in Fizzle, I've got a new course I'm planning to launch this coming January, about 30 days from now, and it's got me thinking. What are some of the obvious and not so obvious things I should be doing to generate some buzz around this new product we'll be offering? So this is what he has listed and then he's asking if we have any other ideas. So his ideas are, mention the upcoming course on the intro of our bi-weekly podcast. When the course is launched, record a full podcast episode dedicated solely to talking about the course and what it offers. Release one or two of the videos from our course as a free preview on our YouTube channel so people can get a taste of what's coming. Uh, do a few teaser image posts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the mysterious major announcement coming on Monday to get people wondering. Uh, open up the doors to our existing subscribers and give them a big discount. Offer a limited time discount for the first week or month after the course is released and post some pictures of our team on social media as we're putting the final touches on some of our video content. So Seth has some really great ideas. <laughs> um, he has a really good list going there. Well, one of the things that I thought of when I read this is he was thinking about doing a full podcast episode after the course is launched. And I would actually say, especially as a consumer, um, I would do the full podcast before it's launched. Um, and if he has any... Um, testimonials or people that he can bring on the podcast that he's helped and that it is in alignment with the course that he's launching to do an interview with them to get uh, his audience really wanting what those people already have that was one of the things i thought of 
Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and I love that Seth mentioned a bunch of different things, um, talking about his podcast audience, talking about his email list and so on, um, and his YouTube channel, because yeah, you have to think about where do I have access to people? What connections do I have and how do I get this in front of them? But, uh, exposure is one thing. And then the second thing is you also need to give people a reason to buy, because if you just tell them that this course is coming out, um, they might just say, well, that's great. And, um, I'll think about that later, or, you know, maybe this will be something for me, um, later in the year. It's because this is a new course, uh, you have all kinds of reasons to tell people about it and you have reasons to do various kinds of promotions and things. I like when Seth was talking about offering a discount, uh, something that I have done successfully in the past when there is a new course for my existing audience, whether that be podcast, email list, um, YouTube or, or whatever, just your audience in general is to offer them a discount. But, um, I like to do that for a limited time. So it gives them a reason to buy and a deadline to make a decision. And also, um, to do that maybe in exchange for something and to let them know that, uh, the official price of the course will be X dollars. But if you buy it by this date and you commit to giving me feedback or you commit to showing up for this in-person session where we talk about the results that you've gotten and so on, um, then you'll get some kind of special insider discount. And um, that serves a few purposes. It will help you get feedback so that you can put the final you know, polish on it before going live. Um, but it also will give you a specific deadline that you can set and a really good package offer to, uh, to make to your people. And that usually drives a lot of sales. Um, you know, obviously just getting the word out will help, but if you don't give people a specific reason to buy now, usually some sort of a deadline, you know, this is why Black Friday works so well. This is why Amazon has Prime Day, um, because not just that it's a discount, but that it's a discount that expires within a specific period of time. Um, you don't necessarily want to become dependent on those. And obviously you want to find ways to sell this product week after week after week, but, um, it can help you to kind of get this thing out there, start off on the right foot, um, get some revenue in the door by offering a specific discount and, um, the course launch or leading up to the course launch is a perfect time to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think he covered both of those things pretty well, actually. Getting the word out to all of your audiences in creative ways. If you have a podcast, like Jen said, maybe you could interview someone for that podcast that you've gotten results for. Uh, you want to be not talking not just about the course itself, but also talking about the problem that the course solves. And maybe make that the theme for the weeks leading up to the course launch. Whatever it is, Seth... Um, is from retipster.com, and he talks about uh, real estate investing. So I'm not sure exactly what the subject of this course is, but something about real estate. So whatever that specific subject is, maybe talk about that um, leading up to it on your email list, on your podcast, on your YouTube channel, uh, on your blog as well, and just get people in the headspace of, oh yeah, this is a problem. I do feel this problem. I have this need. I want to solve it. 
what's next? What do I do, Seth? And then here he comes with this course, which represents a uh, solution to that problem. Thanks, Seth, yeah. for the question. Anything else, Jen, on that? One other tweak that came to mind when I was reading that was instead of doing a big discount for his subscribers, he could offer like a private training with just him, like a group training, but something uh, for his subscribers only, um, but something super exclusive uh, to, to get them on board um, instead of a discount. But I mean, we're both going to encourage urgency. Uh, but that was one other yeah, absolutely. It doesn't necessarily have to be a discount. Um, and, you know, a lot of times uh, the discount isn't quite enough lever for people. You know, people want results. Um, if the discount isn't like huge, it may not be a strong enough driver. So and, you know, you'll see in launches like this a lot of times that people throw in several different things. Maybe there's a little bit of a discount. Maybe you get special access um, to the course creator uh, maybe there's some other product that you've created that you can throw in and just make this a nice, attractive bundle that uh, people can't deny and you should be in good shape. Um, we have a little follow-up here from Sharon and Sharon earlier had asked a question about uh, what she should build her first digital product around. And she said that, I feel stupid, but when you mentioned surveying my list, I realized that I actually did survey, survey my list and through my social media accounts last January when I was in a special course, but then I went in a different direction. I got 46 survey responses, so I can just start from there. Yes, this is great. And um, don't feel stupid because this happens to me all the time. In fact, um, it's really useful to go to your survey account, whatever it is that you use. We use Typeform. Uh, there's SurveyMonkey and Wufu and all kinds of different survey tools out there. But um, a lot of times you run a survey, you look at the results, and then you kind of like put them away and forget about them. But we've, we survey people all the time, and there's tons and tons of good information in those, and it can be good to go and look at those results. Um, once you get to a place where you're, you have a lot of survey responses, even with 46, there's two kinds of survey responses. You've got responses that are uh, multiple choice or yes, no, and those are really easy to summarize. In fact, the survey tools summarize those for you. There are also open-ended survey responses where you just ask someone a question and they have like a box to type in. It can be, it can take a long time to read through all of those when you have a lot of responses. So after we run a survey, I like to go and summarize those and kind of pick out the the key bits from those and and make it compact so that it's easy to refer to. So whatever it is that you do, um, don't forget about those responses and go back to them if you have them. So I'm really glad that, um, that you have those, Sharon. And Sharon says that part of why I went in a different direction is that the survey results showed that people weren't interested in group coaching, but they were interested in either a two-day in-person retreat or a series of live webinars or an online course. So she went into the survey asking people if they wanted to do group coaching. Uh, and instead, people were telling her that they wanted to do an in-person retreat, a series of live webinars, or an online course. And this is great. So um, if you decide to do a series of live webinars or an online course, then the next step might be to dig from those survey results and figure out what they want the webinars or course to be about. Um, or to do, to go back to the audience and uh, survey them survey them again. Hey, before we keep going, here's a quick message from Gusto. 
small business owners wear a lot of hats. And while some hats are great, others, like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can get direct access to certified HR experts, too. Sounds like a pretty good way to kick off 2020 for your business, right? But here's the thing. Deadlines for the new year, they creep up earlier than you think, and you're going to want to get started now. So don't wait. Let Gusto make it easier on you. As a bonus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself over at gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. Perfect. Uh, Jen, we have another question. Yes, so we have a question and a mini success story. I'm so excited reading this. So this is from Ingrid. Um, she wanted to share the progress with her little big picture sessions. I think we've talked about Ingrid's um, business on office hours before she she does a coaching session where she draws out uh, people's ideas and gives gives them a, a physical, beautiful um, drawing of, of their ideas and dreams, and she works them through their business ideas. So, yes, and, and yeah. you can see these over at ingridlil.dk. That's I-N-G-R-I-D-L-I-L-L.dk. And uh, you can get an idea. It's it's impossible to explain what this looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're really beautiful illustrations of um, complicated problems that people are working through. Yes. So she sold 12 sessions for $500 each. Way to go, Ingrid. That's so Amazing. exciting. Yes. Uh, locally in Denmark and also to entrepreneurs in the U.S. And she, from those sales, she can see that there seems to be two audiences. Number one are regular entrepreneurs, so coaches, therapists, accountants. Uh, and then the second kind are branding agencies who seem to get my thing easiest and refer me to others and possibly hire me to work with their clients. Uh, for example, she's done one session with a brand designer's client. Um, so any tips on how to proceed? Should she concentrate on one segment? And then as an upsell, she wants to offer a little illustration film based on the big picture storyboard that she gives her clients. Awesome. I love this. Uh, and this, this is great because this is one of those things that, um, you know, it's, it's not a common thing. It's kind of hard to know how well this is going to do. And um, it seems super useful. And I'm really, really glad to hear that Ingrid's getting some um, traction because this is, this is um, the kind of service that I think can, especially for the branding agencies that she's talking about, this can be a really useful add-on service. Imagine if you're a branding agency and you're trying to help, you're trying to stand out in some way when you're doing work for clients. This is an add-on that could really help you stand out. So that could be a great source of clients for Ingrid. In this case, I don't think that she needs necessarily to focus on just one. Because at the end of the day, the person that this is serving is very similar. It's just sometimes there's a middle person or a go-between, and sometimes there isn't. And this is a lot like uh, the work that my wife does. She's a, a professional painter, 
and um, artist. And sometimes she's working directly with a client, and other times there's some sort of an art consultant or something in between. And that doesn't mean necessarily that she changes the end result. She doesn't change the work that she makes. It just changes how she's finding the clients and the kind of um, background work that she has to do, the marketing and so on. Um, But she's happy to do work for either one. And this is great because it sort of diversifies your revenue streams. Sometimes it'll be going really well for you. You'll be finding a lot of clients on your own through your website and your outreach and so on. And um, that's great. But there is maybe more work that you have to do because you have to schedule the sessions, you have to sign the agreements, you have to do all of this other stuff. So you're not only doing the art or the illustration, but you're also doing all of the um, office work as well. When you go through an agency or a consultant or something, a lot of times they handle all of that, they handle collecting the payment, um, and you can just focus on delivering your art. Um, but probably both of these, especially in the beginning, are going to be important as a way for Ingrid to build up her client base. So I love that. Um, and then she says, as an upsell, I want to offer a little illustration film based on the big picture storyboard. So um, I, I'm guessing that she would be filming the session and then people would get to watch it afterwards, maybe either in real time or I could imagine I've seen sometimes illustrations kind of sped up so that can people can see the process kind of um, quickly. But either of those um, sound great and um, that would be a, a great little add-on for people as well. And, and that's how you could get your prices bumped up. Um, I'm guessing the price is, um, she said she sold them for $500 and she sold 12 spots. That's great. I'm guessing there may be different pricing um, depending on who you're working with and how. You may have like a direct-to-entrepreneur package that might be a little bit cheaper, um, especially if they're smaller entrepreneurs. If people are hiring branding agencies, maybe they're bigger clients, and maybe that's where you can have a, a package, a bigger package that sells for more. Congrats, Lil- uh, Ingrid, as well on the process. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, Corbett, those are all the typed out questions I have right now, unless anyone else in the chat box has anything else they want to ask. Perfect. Um, Yeah. And you had some uh, best of 2019 things that you thought we could discuss today (laughs) as well, right? Yeah, just those those common Fizzler questions and uh, things that come up over and over in the forums and on uh, Fizzle Friday. Uh, So number one, uh, tell me if you've heard this one before. But you feel like you're working in circles. You're always ticking off tasks, but you're not making any real momentum in your business. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You just raise your hand over there, Jen? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I'll I'll raise my hand as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there is such a thing as outsized results. The effort that you put into something alone doesn't determine... Um, the results that you get. You can apply effort in different ways. You can apply effort to different tasks and, and you can get results in, in different sizes. And this is something that's really important to keep in mind. And this is why a lot of times you hear advice around um, when you find something that works, you need to work that thing over and over again until you've gotten all that you can out of it. Uh, we talk a lot about this idea um, that was popularized by Derek Sivers. Um, he has a blog post that goes something like, 
ideas are just a multiplier of execution. And uh, that means that a lot of times people feel like their business idea is precious and they hold it kind of close um, because they're worried, you know, if it gets out that somebody might take their idea or something. But an idea alone is worthless. An idea without execution um, doesn't lead to anything. And so you can imagine that there is the strength of your idea and the strength of your execution. And if you have an idea that's a 10, but zero execution, 10 times zero is zero. If you have an idea that's a 10 and execution that's a 10, that's the ideal scenario. That applies to your overall business idea, but the same concept can apply to your day-to-day tasks. You may be going at these tasks like really hard. You may be showing up with a level 10 intensity, focus, dedication, follow-through, execution. But if the task that you're working on is a zero in terms of its ability to impact your business, then it doesn't matter how hard you're working on it. So your goal is not to just throw tasks on your list and pick them off with the same intensity. Your goal is to figure out which tasks you can put on your list that have the potential to be game changers for your business, which of those tasks are a 10. And sometimes the tasks that have the potential to be a really high impact are ones that we don't want to do for some reason. And maybe there's this like unconscious block happening where we're avoiding doing these things because they're uncomfortable, because they involve talking to someone or reaching out to someone or putting our, putting ourselves out there in a position where we can be rejected. A lot of times the most important thing we can do for our business is release a new product, release a new course, release a new group coaching program or something like that. And we avoid those things because There's a lot of work involved, there's a lot of risk, uncertainty, and again, a lot of times the things that we avoid are the things that put us out there in a position where people can say, I like that or I don't like that, or I'll buy that or I won't buy that. And so we avoid those things and instead find ourselves doing little pieces of busy work. Now, it could also be that you're not just doing busy work, but maybe you legitimately feel like... Um, you know, I'm working on this marketing thing. I've decided that Pinterest is a big part of my strategy this year. And so I've gone all in on Pinterest or I've gone all in on Instagram and I'm working really hard, but I'm not seeing results in, in that case either. And the question then is, um, have you done enough work to know that maybe Pinterest just isn't the right channel for your business, or maybe it's not the right channel for your personality or Is there some secret to it that you haven't unlocked yet? And um, do you just need to keep forging ahead? And those are difficult questions to answer. Um, I think you might be able to feel deep down in your gut to some degree whether or not that's true. But also, um, you may need to do more research and uh, talk to people who have done this before. Talk to people who have success in that area and find out whether or not Uh, you're doing the things that you do need to succeed or not. All of these things, you know, in growing a business need to be thought of as experiments. We talk about the fact that your business is a giant experiment. A business is simply a hypothesis that there are a group of people out there who have some sort of problem, need, or desire that you can fulfill in a way that they'll be willing to pay you for. And so we're just 
trying things, throwing things out there, seeing if, if they stick or not. Um, but within your business, maybe you've proven there are people out there who have this problem, but then the next question is, well, how do I reach enough of them? And how do I package this solution in a way that they'll be willing to pay for? And those are all experiments as well, growth experiments, where you have a list of ideas. And, and this is a great you know time of the year to be doing this kind of planning. List out all of the different things that you think could work for you, all of the different activities that you could be um, taking on next year, and then score them based on the potential for impact, maybe the amount of effort that's involved, and sometimes it's useful to also think about the things that you're really interested in because we've all had those things on our list that we think would be useful to us, but we've put off forever because we just can't get behind them for some reason. So score all of these things. Again, you know, maybe you have 10 things on your list and you score them on a scale of 0 to 10 based on their potential for impact, how much effort is involved, and how much you're interested in them. And then look at the things that shake out at the top of your list, the things that have a high potential for impact, low effort, and that you're really interested in, and then tackle those one by one in that order, as opposed to just going through the motions and see if that can't get you to some kind of breakthrough. Also keep in mind that there are things that you don't know, and you don't know that you don't know them, right? And that's the scary thing. And um, the only way that you can fix those blind spots and understand that maybe there are things that you could be doing in your business that you're not even aware of yet, but maybe there are things out there that could be really impactful for you. The only way to learn those things is by connecting with other entrepreneurs who have already done these things. And um, this is one of the reasons that I love having the Fizzle Show podcast. And I, I love now that we're doing more interviews because I get to sit down with people that I know are running amazing businesses and ask them questions so that hopefully I can uncover some things that they're doing that will help me in my business or our listeners in their businesses. And so any any excuse you can have to sit down with other entrepreneurs and ask them questions or to leverage other podcasts and other shows where people are doing that um, can be really useful. And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like useful work because you've got all these things on your task list and why should I just be listening to a podcast? Um, but those are potentially outsized results. You might listen to an episode and come across one particular thing that was a breakthrough for someone else, apply that to your business, and uh, that might be one of those things that is a 10 on the scale of ideas that can go along with your super execution and lead to some amazing outsized results for your business. I mean, we all work hard, right? And we know of people that are running businesses that take off and do really well. And you have to ask yourself, do those take off because the person running that business is just that much more talented than I am or that much more driven? It's probably not entirely the case. They probably stumbled upon something that was the right set of people with the right problem at the right time, and they were looking to solve that in a way that they were willing to pay for. And then they went about it in a way their, their execution was, was tops as well. So you just have to find those things for your own business and, um, and just have faith that they will be out there. 
but don't stop experimenting and, and don't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Slow clap. So good, <laughs> so, Corbett. <laughs> golf clap. So good. Oh, I love all of that answer. I'm not going to add anything. I just love that. Thank you. <laughs> love it. Uh, um, okay, so another thing that's come up a lot in fizzle conversations is productivity tips which kind of goes into the first question a little bit, um, but just this idea of, and it's interesting being uh, either a new entrepreneur or an experienced one, you know, you are your own boss. And so how uh, it's like that never ending feeling of not doing enough or not being organized enough. Or I, I find that that's where a lot of the productivity questions stem from because we have these expectations of ourselves that we need to get more and more and more done. Um, but we had a really great conversation on a fizzle Friday in the fall. And uh, Vicky was just chatting about it in the chat box again as well today. Um, but the idea, and it's in, um, it's in our productivity course in fizzle, but the idea of worker B mode versus CEO mode and being able to define between the two um, so that you're bringing the right, the right person to the task that you're doing so that you're not trying to do big picture thinking when you should just be knocking nitty gritty tasks off. Um, so that was a really big uh, fan favorite in the Fizzle community this year. Um, it's helped me quite a bit. Um, I feel like I'm fighting through a plateau in my biz right now and I'm ready to break out in 2020. Uh, but that was definitely a game changer for me in the last couple of months was not just showing up to my work without having that definition of if I'm doing big picture thinking or if I'm taking care of tasks. So. Yeah. Uh, Chase calls that the CEO versus worker bee modes in his productivity course. Another way to think of it is um, you may have heard the, the phrase working on your business versus working in your business. And uh, that's another good way to think about it. Almost um, having some distance from your business and looking at, okay, what does this thing need? And this gets back to the the prior conversation, the the question about um, doing a lot of work and not getting results. It could be that you're not spending enough time in CEO mode, not identifying the high value, high leverage things that you could be working on. For some, it could be that you're spending too much time in CEO mode. And this is just uh, where it's useful to have the awareness of what mode am I in right now? And I, I get stuck in that CEO mode a lot myself. It's um, very gratifying to me to look at patterns and data and to try to kind of see the big picture. But seeing the big picture doesn't mean that the work is getting done. And for a lot of us, um, you know, eventually the working on your business versus working in your business is great when you have a lot of revenue and, and people helping you and you can spend more and more time working on your business and optimizing things. But for a lot of us, we're working in one-person businesses or we're working in less than a one-person business because we've got some day job that we're working on. And so we're spending a very small amount of time in our business and we have to be very careful about how we divide up the CEO time versus the worker bee time. And it's not helpful when you're the worker bee to be 
second guessing yourself all the time and kind of slipping back into that CEO mode and questioning every little step like, well, do I really need to be doing this? It's more useful to divide up the time so that you're spending discrete amounts of time as CEO thinking about what's the big picture, who am I serving, am I working towards the right things, and then define that strategy, define the tasks that you're supposed to be working on, and then as the worker bee, just put your head down and get the work done so that you're not wasting a bunch of time second-guessing yourself. I think a lot of us can kind of get stuck in that. There's another thing uh, about productivity that I've discovered about myself, which is you can question how you're organizing your tasks. And if you're busy all day, you can question, well, am I batching things so that I'm being most efficient with my time? Am I looking at my task list at the beginning of every day so that I'm making sure that I'm doing the most important things? All of that is kind of work about work and just general productivity stuff. And I love productivity because it affects all of us, whether we're building a business or just working in a career. But productivity is so tied to motivation as well, because we know that we've all had those days where we're just in the zone and we just feel like nothing can get in our way. <clears throat> and we're looking at our list, like, give us more. Like I'm, I'm ready to check off all these tasks and get them all done. And you feel great at the end of the day. And then we have those days where, sure, we looked at our list, we organized it, we, we put it in the right order to be most efficient with our time. And then after you get done organizing your list and you know doing your CEO time, you're just not feeling it. You're just not motivated to get any work done. And those are the days that you kind of waste um, either by convincing yourself that spending the whole day in Google Analytics is useful or you just give up and you're checking the news or doing whatever it is that you do to waste your time. And that's where I think it's useful to think about productivity versus motivation. I read recently that motivation, you can sometimes rely on willpower to get yourself into a task and start working on it, but willpower is in short supply. And motivation really only exists when you want to do something. You're only motivated to do something if you actually want to do it. So you either have to want to do the task that's in front of you because it seems fun or you're really curious about the outcome of this specific task, or you have to tie the desire to do this task to your desire to see some bigger picture future outcome. And that's tough, right? It's tough to sit down and look at a task, even though you're not looking forward to getting it done, but to tie it to the bigger picture, the the bigger future outcome. Like I want, I really want to hit my goal of, you know, um, X new customers in the first quarter of next year or X dollars in revenue. And so by writing this blog post, I don't necessarily have to care about writing this specific blog post, but it is important to me because I believe it will lead to that future outcome. So you have to want that future outcome you have to believe that doing this task is related to the success of that future outcome. So if you're feeling like you are not getting enough done, either you have an issue of the way that you're organizing your work, just the nuts and bolts of productivity, how much time you're in CEO mode, how much time you're in worker bee mode, the way that you're organizing your tasks, whether or not you're tackling the tasks that have the high impact, or you have an issue of motivation. 
And if you're actually not getting any work done, then it's more a matter of, do I want to do these tasks or do I want the bigger picture outcome that these tasks are associated with? And how acutely aware am I that getting these tasks done will lead to the future outcome and how much do I believe that they will lead to that? That's all procrastination. I think we all deal with that. And, um, it's a pain, like, especially as you get further into your business, it's easy in the beginning to feel really motivated because everything's fresh and new and exciting. And all the tasks that you're tackling are exciting in themselves. And you can kind of lose yourself and just, Oh, what's it like to shoot a video? Like that's fun. Or what's it like to write a blog post? But then when you've done it a hundred times, showing up becomes more a matter of trying to remember why you enjoy those tasks or trying to remember why you're doing them to serve some greater purpose. Jen, anything that's helped you with motivation or productivity in the, in the past year that you find especially useful? Well, I was just going to bring up our last theme of the year that's hit fizzlers a lot, which I struggle with quite a bit and I find it ties into this, but it's imposter syndrome. So talking about being productive and getting work done and not getting work done, sometimes I find that I actually don't get the work done because I'm making progress and then I get scared about, you know, stepping into that space where where I'm owning it and my audience is, you know, right there with me. So I've been doing a lot of work about, um, a lot of journal work about, you know, who I'm helping and staying connected to my why and working through those fears of success. Um, so that I can show up and be productive. Um, but I definitely find that I need to do a weekly plan at the beginning of the week, um, or else I just fall completely off the rails. Like I will, I have had what happened in India, but I'm, I'm giving myself a pass for that <laughs> a pass. But if I didn't lay out exactly, uh, what I was going to be working on and why I got almost nothing done. Um, so I'm definitely uh, need to stick to my, I like to physically write things down as well. I'm not a digital planner. Yeah. Um, but definitely physically writing things out and then staying connected to who I'm trying to help and why and, and acknowledging and pushing through the fears of actually being successful at this. Yeah. And I think that, um, in our model of CEO versus worker bee, we have to remember that there's also this horrible person that lives in our head, which is, our critic, our own like inner critic who, um, when we're doing CEO planning, a lot of times is say, is telling us like, well, sure, that's great. You can make all these plans, but do you deserve this? Who are you to be, you know, thinking that you're the, you know, capable of being the same as somebody else? Um, do you really have the talent to pull this off? All those sorts of things. And then when we get into worker bee mode, we have to worry about the CEO kind of micromanaging us, but then we have to worry about the critic throwing us off, right? And a lot of times when we're feeling unmotivated, um, maybe it's because we don't believe something. We don't believe something about ourselves. And um, I find that too much outside influence, too much looking at other people, comparing myself to other people, other people's success and feeling, you know, I, I think it's natural for us to look for patterns and to look at other people's success and to think about the patterns that they followed. And then we look at someone as a potential pattern and ask ourselves, well, could we be that person? Could we 
show up every day like so-and-so does and produce the kind of content that they do. And then we feel like, no, like that's not my personality. And, and, and then you start feeling small because of it. Uh, so I really have to limit the amount of comparison that I'm doing. Um, and you know, this whole procrastination motivation thing, I think really ends up getting tied to our emotional state and, and how we deal with these things and not to get like too woo woo about it, but, um, there are all kinds of books out there written about various therapy techniques that help us feel better, um, you know, and deal with depression and anxiety and so on. And, um, not that these things that we're dealing with are necessarily like, you know, clinical depression necessarily as entrepreneurs. I mean, plenty of us do. And I hear stories behind the scenes every day of some entrepreneur who burned out because of some crippling anxiety or something that they were dealing with. But even if it's not that bad, just that day-to-day struggle that we're having with ourselves about whether or not we're worth it, whether or not we're capable, um, that can really throw us off track. And, and, um, looking into a book, uh, that's helped me recently is called the happiness trap. And this is, um, just something that kind of helps you understand these conversations that you're having with yourself that can be so destructive. And, um, I think as entrepreneurs, because we have to do so much and we have to put ourselves out there, it really causes us to confront a lot of things that you might not have to confront as an entrepreneur or sorry, as an employee sometimes, because now you're the face of the business. Now you have to wear every hat in the business and, um, it really can throw a lot of stuff in your face that you didn't expect. And so we have to go through a lot of personal growth as entrepreneurs, especially in the first several years. And, um, it's not, it's not strange. It's not, you know, you shouldn't think you're weak because you can't just plow forward and get all of your tasks done. Um, because like I said, I, I hear stories all the time behind the scenes of people that we all think of as like big put together, like super capable people who end up, um, just kind of running themselves into the ground because they're trying to fight these voices or cram them down and just get forward. And sometimes they do, and then it all comes back to haunt them eventually. So, um, we just need to be kind to ourselves (laughs) a little bit and, uh, and, and don't be afraid to look into the deeper, more emotional stuff that comes with being an entrepreneur. People are commenting like, like crazy over here. Ingrid saying the happiness trap is great. Uh, she has some sketch notes about it somewhere. I'd love to see that Ingrid. That would be amazing. And, um, for people don't, don't forget as well. Like, like I go through this as well. Somebody commented about seasonal affective disorder. Um, when, you know, you live in Northern climates like Jen does, especially where it gets dark at, I don't know, what is it? Four 15 and it's dark out yep. sometimes four o'clock if it's cloudy yep. out. It's insane. You have so few hours of daylight and uh, sometimes we just forget that this is a time of year where it's kind of low energy. Um, Somebody explained it to me recently that darkness as an evolutionary thing was a very scary time because you couldn't see your predators out there. And when it gets to that really dark time of year where it's dark for 16 or 18 hours a day, um, 
evolutionarily, our lizard brain might be a little freaked out because we're worried about bears and tigers and lions and things out there. And we aren't um, gentle and kind enough to ourselves about that. And we're expecting just to be all peppy like we are in the summertime. And it's not necessarily that easy. Uh, this is great. Thank you so yeah. much for bringing up these year end questions. I love this, Jen. Mm-hmm. And, um, thanks everybody for showing up with the questions. Thanks for being here for us at fizzle over the past year, 2019. And for the better part of a decade, I can't believe again, that it's the end of a decade and we're <laughs> entering into a whole new decade for those of us born in the 70s. What is that? 70s, 80s, 90s. This is going to be what my sixth decade, I guess, on earth, which is insane. Um, that doesn't feel possible. Um, so <laughs> no, wait, the 80s are like 20 years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know, right? I'm not. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, people in the 80s are people born in the 80s are turning. Uh Oh, some people are from the 60s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe that's five uh, decades. Maybe I did the math wrong. I don't know. But regardless, um, this is a good time to yeah. reflect. And um, Jen, thank you so much for helping with the questions today. I appreciate it. Thank you. As always. Thanks to everybody who submitted the questions today. I hope you had a great 2019. Here's to an even better 2020 coming soon. As always, you can find links to everything that we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode number 358. I'm Corbett Barr, and until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show.